The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I just don't condone the bashing of Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys and have the same energy for the Eagles. We want the same energy for everybody because there's a whole bunch of bashing when it's Dak Prescott, but not the same when it's the Eagles. If y'all just want to hate Cowboys Nation, just say y'all hate Cowboys Nation. I'm tired of people trashing my quarterback. I'm tired of people trashing my team. And that's why I had nothing to say to the media this week. Michael Parsons had nothing to say to the media, but plenty to say on his weekly podcast. Shereen, before we say good morning to everyone, has Michael Parsons been stiff-arming the media? We've been down this road before. We know what happens to players like Marshawn Lynch who refuse to comply with their media obligations. Is this a thing that I was not aware of, along with the many other things I'm not aware of? Good morning. Uh, good morning. Yes, he did not talk last week, and I talked to Calvin Watkins, who covers the Cowboys for the Dallas Morning News, and who is the president of the Pro Football Writers of America, and he said, yes, they've talked to the Cowboys, and this was not going to be a every week thing, that it was one week, and they were going to give him a pass for one week. So he's gotten a one-week pass, so he will have to talk this week, or I think he gets turned in. We had a couple of those. I can't remember the other one. But I, I immediately texted Calvin and said, hey, did you see so-and-so didn't talk this week? And I can't remember who the other one was, but they're on it, and he will talk this week, or he will get the letter from the NFL saying if you don't talk, there's going to be a pretty healthy fine to go with not talking to the media. So, uh, yeah, he did not talk last week, though, Mike. My theory would be that he just didn't want to have to talk about the crap show. Yeah that the Cowboys put on on Sunday night football against the San Francisco 49ers because you know how this goes. It's not like any of the hate is oozing through the people who have to deal with the players, coaches, owners of the Cowboys on a regular basis. They're not asking questions that would be littered with signs of disrespect of Dak Prescott. That's just how it goes. The people who cover the team 
are going to be far more inclined to be positive. Again, that's just the way it goes than the national voices that would be spewing hate. And that's how it goes if you play for the Cowboys. The Cowboys are the ultimate polarizing team, the lightning rods of the NFL. That's where the hate comes from nationally. It pays to talk about the Cowboys, which is one of the reasons why we're talking about it now. And, and it pays to hate on the Cowboys. If you have nothing good to say, say something bad. That's how it works with the Cowboys. So I like the fact that Mike is engaged in it. And he's only in his third season, and he's still young. He doesn't understand how it works. And also, also, and this is a point Peter King and I debated on Friday because he thinks none of the talk matters. I think it all matters. It just shows that Micah's looking for anything he can to get himself and his teammates pissed off and motivated. Well, and they should be after the comments by the 49ers and the T-shirt reveal by by uh, George Kittle, they should be fired up and they should be ready to play. And I don't know if they looked quite like that against the Chargers. They didn't show me much to make me change my mind that they have no chance to win Uh-oh. Super Bowl. But you're a I hater. Just, I, you're a hater. Yeah, I am a hater. I guess I am a hater at this point. But <laughs> show me something else. Beat a good, beat a really good team, and I'll be back on the band. Beat the Eagles. I'll tell you what. Beat the Eagles. I'll be back on the bandwagon. But, but, but I thought Monday night's game was a hard-fought battle between, between two really good teams. That's what Brandon <laughs> Staley told me. Wasn't, yeah, that, wasn't I, that what I you saw? Uh, that's what I heard, but that's not what I saw. All right, well, the show's PFT Live. You're going to see it and or listen to it over the course of the next two hours. If you choose, we can't make you, but we appreciate if you do. We're on Peacock, Sirius XM 85, Sky Sports NFL at some point today. Usually it's around 6 o'clock local time for those of you who watch the show and podcast whenever, wherever, however you get your podcast when they get loaded. I assume they always get loaded at an acceptable time, except on the rare days that I get 57 emails telling me, hey, where's your podcast? But that doesn't happen very often. So that's where everything is, and we appreciate your time. Wednesday's that weird bridge day. Talking about some of the things left over from the prior week. Here comes the next week. But there's also plenty of news emerging from the day that was on Tuesday. And this was a surprise to me. I thought Julio Jones had slipped into what I call the Bruce Willis in the sixth sense mode, where he's the last one to know he's retired. (laughs) Spoiler Uh alert, he was dead the whole movie. I have 24 years, probably enough time for anybody who's ever seen it. But, But I just assumed it was a matter of time before we got the announcement from Julio Jones, the one-day contract with the Falcons that he was going to retire because no one had even been linked to him. There'd been no speculation, no rumors, no Sunday splash reports that Julio Jones was going to be anywhere, anytime in the NFL. And just out of the blue, Julio Jones joins the Eagles practice squad as they ramp him up to make him part of an offense that's currently dominated by A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith at receiver, I guess they have some reps for him somewhere. They wouldn't have added him if they didn't have a plan for him, Shereen. But that was one of those where I saw it and I thought, why? Well, and they do need a third receiver. With Quez, Quez Watkins has that hamstring injury and probably going to be out four or more games. I think they put him on IR. So they are without a third receiver. They worked out Marquez Callaway and Desmond Patton on Monday. They said no to those guys, signed Julio Jones. I'm with you. 
a huge shock to me that they would sign him. I mean, the last three seasons, nine games, ten games, ten games, you know, he, he just he can't stay healthy now. He's 34 years old, has those hamstring problems. And guess what, Mike? As we age, as you and I both know, it doesn't get any better. Like, your hamstrings don't just improve, you know. None of that improves as you age. And so I don't know how many games he's going to play. I don't know how many passes he's going to catch. I have a feeling it's not going to be all that many. And people get hyped up over this because they remember these players as they were, not as they are. And as he is, he's not very good at this age. He hasn't been very good for a very long time, Mike. Yeah, it really has been several years. And I remember when the contract issues first started between him and the Falcons, 2018 is when it really became a thing. The narrative at the time was he was hanging out with some really, really, really rich people and he needed to make more money to really hang with the really, really rich people and different (laughs) ideas were being put into his head and he wanted more and more and more from the Falcons and then that ultimately fizzled out and he's bounced around since then. And you're right. The players are the last ones to admit that they can no longer do what they once did and the fans who remember what they once did are the next to the last ones to admit that the player can no longer do what the player once did. And my guess is there was a rush on all the fantasy football waiver wires to try to get Julio Jones just in case, just in case the Eagles know something that the other 31 teams don't. And this isn't a knock on Julio Jones. He's a Hall of Famer. He's the active leader among all NFL players in receiving yards with 13,629, catches 903, played in 10 games for the Buccaneers last season, but just as an, as an example of where he currently is, 24 catches in 10 games, 299 yards in 10 games. That's less than 30 yards per game, if my math is correct, and it rarely is. Two touchdowns in 10 games last year with the Buccaneers. And I remember when he joined the Buccaneers, it was like, oh, hey, oh, oh, Tom Brady and Julio yeah. Jones. But I can see why he would do it. If he accepts what his role is going to be, he's got a chance to chase a ring. And he had the ring in his hand. It was in his hand like Smeagol. God, that's a lame reference. And it was taken away by Frodo and thrown into the fires of Mount Doom. I'm not making it any better. Uh, (laughs) When the the Falcons blew the 28-3 lead in Super Bowl 51, he had it. He made that catch He made the dagger catch. I remember being at that game, and he made that great catch along the sideline and gave the Falcons a first down, and you start doing the math, and it's like, this is over until it wasn't. So this is his opportunity, and maybe the truth is of all the teams contending at the highest possible level, the Eagles were the ones that made the move. Maybe he was eyeballing the 49ers. Maybe he's eyeballing the Eagles. Maybe the Chiefs, right? Maybe the Dolphins. Not that they really have a need there, but still watching the great teams, waiting for the right moment, swooping in half a season or so, two-thirds of a season with the Eagles. And we'll see. First of all, we need to see how long it's going to take him to ramp up. Like you said, Quez Watkins out. Good point by you. But it may take four weeks for Julio Jones to be ready to go. He's not – the first thought – and this, this goes back to what you were saying. We all assume he's still the guy he was. You sign him immediately to the roster. No, 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 no. 
for the older guys, you got to put them on the practice squad first. We got to, we got to, we're not going to burn a 53 man roster spot and a guy who's not ready. We're going to ramp them up slowly. And of course, there's that device they came up with a few years ago that allows practice squads to have a certain number of veteran players. It used to be you exhausted your eligibility in the first couple of years of your career. Now they can park him there, get him going, bring him up, maybe elevate him once or twice before they even put him on the 53 man roster. So, you know, it's a process. And this step in the process is get this guy in football shape. And Mike, I agree with you. I think he's a Hall of Famer. Well, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I know he's a Hall of Famer. I have no doubt about that. Seven Pro Bowls, two All Pros, twice led the league in receiving yards, 2015 and 2018. He led the NFL in receptions in 2015 with 136, four playoff berths. The question, I think, is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? And obviously the one thing missing is the Super Bowl. So I do think he he waited, and if he was planning to come back, I assume he's been working out with the intent to come back to a team that has a chance to win a title. And he finally decided, look, the Eagles need a receiver. It's time. You know, I don't know if this is too early. Can he make it through a season now? We're only in week seven. Can he make it through an entire season? He hasn't shown the ability to keep those hamstrings healthy. And that's my concern for him. Is he going to be able to play the rest of this season and get to the postseason where he can potentially win that ring and, and help the Eagles? So that's the question. 2019 was his last Pro Bowl. That's his last 1,000-yard season. 99 catches that year, 1,300 yards, six touchdowns. So it's been a while since he's been that guy. But with the Eagles, he doesn't have to be that guy. He just has to be a capable third receiver. If he stays healthy, can he do that? I- I don't know, but we're going to find out because that's what the Eagles are counting on at this point. The other factor that I think boosts his Hall of Fame candidacy, whether it's first ballot, second ballot, third ballot, in his prime, he was one of those guys that would keep defensive coordinators awake, staring at the ceiling, figuring out how do we take him away. He's not just a stat compiler. He's a guy that commanded extra attention and – Those are the true Hall of Fame receivers, the ones who strike fear in the heart of every defensive coach that they will be facing. And, you know, with the hamstring injuries, when that first started, there was just that loose sense that that was his way of expressing his displeasure with the Falcons. I'm just not going to practice. I don't want to practice. I don't need to practice. They're not paying me enough to go out and practice three times a week, whatever the case may be. But It also could be at 34, when he starts exerting extreme pressure on those muscles, something happens. You got to be careful. You got to manage his reps. There's a chance if they do this just right, Shireen, big game, big spot, big moment. A.J. Brown's covered. Devontae Smith's covered. Julio Jones pops open, makes a big catch, keeps a drive going. Eagles win a game that maybe they otherwise would have lost. And it's all worth it. So we tend to defer to the wisdom of Howie Roseman in these matters because he's built a pretty damn good football team. So we assume there's a method to the apparent madness. And my first reaction when I saw it yesterday was, this does indeed seem like madness. Speaking of madness, Jerry Jones was on the radio. <laughs> Sorry. Was on the radio yesterday. And I got I to gotta admire the guy's, the guy's hustle. He's in L.A. Monday night, hops on his plane, flies all the way to New York for the league meetings, the October annual fall session, 
rolls out of bed, doesn't sound like he's laying in bed, doesn't sound all gravelly like he usually does on Tuesday mornings. He sounds spry talking to Sean and RJ of 105.3 The Fan. Here's Jerry. Now, we mentioned earlier that Brandon Staley, the Chargers coach, regarded Monday night's Cowboys-Chargers game as a hard-fought tussle between two really good teams. Here's what Jerry thought about it. I can't tell you how proud I am. It was as I felt it was as disjointed or sloppy a game as uh, maybe that's a strong word for both both sides. I, I really thought uh, uh, the game was relatively speaking statistically it was even and as it turns out the big penalties probably uh, uh, helped uh, each team hurt it at critical times but helped it as well and so uh, that probably those penalties evened it out, evened out. Uh, obviously the stats were real even on the game it was a hard fought game you know, he went on to meander, and with Jerry, when he meanders, sometimes some important truths come out, and he meandered into the whole idea of how the waiver system works and how the worst team has dibs on whoever gets cut, and he didn't exactly explain it accurately, which you kind of would like your general manager to be able to do. He was a little bit off in how he explained the waiver process, but his point was bootstrap back to the penalties. As long as they even out, I'm fine with it. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. The big penalties aren't supposed to even out. The big penalties should be called on the team whose players are committing the fouls. And it's not always even. So it was just kind of a weird way to rationalize the fact that the Cowboys are going to have some big penalties against them as long as the other side does too then I'm okay with it. But if my team has big penalties and the other team doesn't, and that creates some sort of a competitive disadvantage, then I have a problem with it. Again, that's not what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be, well, you know what? We have to throw these flags so people think we're doing our job. So let's just make sure that we throw as many on this team as we do on that team. Then we're doing our jobs and nobody can say we're biased, and nobody can say we're stupid, and nobody can say we're putting our finger on the scale of how this game goes. I just thought that was a weird thing that Jones just kind of put out into the universe that's going to be largely overlooked, but there's there's just a, there's a, a warped way of thinking about football if you think that that the officials are only doing their job right if the big penalties even out between the two teams. That, that to me, is not a proper view of rules enforcement in the NFL. And this surprises you that Jerry would say something like this? <laughs> no. No, based upon 34 years of hearing quotes from Jerry Jones, no. Yeah. But for an owner of an NFL team to say it out loud on yeah. the day that they're all getting together in New York, it just seemed kind of weird to me. And I don't know if that's his way of stopping short of criticizing the officials and getting himself fined by the league, but it just I just thought I thought that that was a, a weird way to, to yeah. sell the idea that, you know what, at some point the game did get bogged down by all the penalties, Shireen. And I remember when John Gruden used to do Monday Night Football, he'd complain, man, man, penalties, so many penalties. Well, if they're breaking the rules, you throw the flag. That's what it's there for.
And so there were a lot of flags. Why? Because there were a lot of fouls. And it doesn't matter whether it was 50-50, 60-40, 80-20. That's what's weird to me. Like, Jerry's fine with it as long as it's 50-50. But what if his team was breaking the rules more than the other team? So it just I thought the whole thing was a little off. Well, that's what it usually is. That's that's probably his problem is it usually the Cowboys committing all the penalties and the other team committing no penalties because they are a very penalized team, 11 penalties for 85 yards on Monday night, and that's kind of what they do, and it's kind of why their offense really hasn't got going this year. So, you know, I, I think on, on the one hand, he was just really happy to see somebody else breaking the rules other than his team because they do it so much, but – I do think that's a big reason why they're 17th uh, in offense right now, Mike, because they're just struggling a little bit to to get it going uh, on offense, and that's part of the reason. I I got the impression at one point Monday night when I saw the flags coming out on almost every play, especially when it comes to offensive holding. Look, we see holding all the time that isn't called, and I do think this gets back to the 2013 Legion of Boom approach to holding receivers. Just hold them all the time and force the officials to throw the flag because they don't want to bog the game down. Yes, we're supposed to throw the flag when we see it, but come on, we've had penalties on three straight plays now. We can't do four in a row. We can't do five in a row. We can't do six in a row. We just can't keep doing this. At some point, they're not going to do it. And I feel like with holding, the whole idea is our main objective is to keep the quarterback from getting hit and getting hurt and we'll run the risk of a holding penalty because it's far more important that you keep that six foot five inch, 270 pound guy who runs a four three from coming around the edge and hitting the quarterback and putting him on injured reserve. You do whatever you have to do. And if you have to hold like Jeff Van Gundy on Alonzo Mourning's leg back in the day, do whatever you have to do to keep that guy from hitting the quarterback. And if they throw the flag, they throw the flag. And do it all the time because they're not going to throw the flag all the time. I feel like that is part of what we're seeing. Because when you watch the line playing, it's hard to do when the game's moving quickly and you're kind of watching the ball and what's going to happen. And But you see, I mean, on almost every play, there's an offensive lineman who is grabbing a defensive player in a way that could be flagged. And it's not, well, it's away from the point of attack. I'm talking about pass blocking. The guy's trying to keep the defensive lineman from getting to the quarterback. It seems like on every play you see someone holding Shereen, and they call it, what, 10% of the time? Yeah. Well, and I think you see the same thing on defense, Mike. If you go back to the Sunday night game and we're talking about a holding there, absolutely you hold on the last play. No time left. If they call it, big deal. They don't get any more yards. They get another play. You hold on the next play. At some point, they're not going to call it. You know, So you just keep holding. And I think it's the same way on defense. I think we see it a lot on defense that isn't always called because you're right. It really bogs down and slows down the game and they're not going to call it on every play. But I think we do see it more in the offensive line because you could call it every single play if you wanted to. Somebody holds on every single play in the offensive line. It has to be really blatant for an official to call it. And, of course, Shireen mentions that play from Sunday night because she got up early on Monday, 6 o'clock her time, to watch PFT Live, and she heard the whole segment when Chris and I talked about the wisdom of just keep holding. In that setting, untimed down, on the one-yard line, 
Just keep holding. Keep interfering. Make them keep calling the flag because if they don't call it once, you win the game. So, And if you let the guy catch it once, you lose the game. Force him to run the ball at some point because we're not going to give you any chance to catch it. So, yeah, I just think that there is strategic rules violation accepting that there's, you know, everything's probabilities now. Everything's analytics. Everything. I've been reading the Michael Lewis book about Sam Bankman-Fried, the FTX guy who's on trial now. His whole life was probabilities. Everything he did was probability. This trial for him is probabilities. It's all probabilities. So it's like, you know, if I can break the rules on 100% of the plays, but they're going to throw a flag 10% of the plays, why not break the rules every play? And from Jerry's perspective, as long as the flags that they ultimately throw are even, I got no problem with it. So, you know, it's kind of sad, but it's reality. And it's working for some teams as most importantly than anything else, they're keeping their quarterbacks from getting injured. All right, another thing Jerry said Monday night, one of the, one of the weird moments of that great game between two hard-fought teams. Late in the first half, Cowboys run a play, eight seconds left, Two timeouts remaining. We assume Mike McCarthy's going to do that. They're going to have a shot at the end zone. Eight, doesn't take eight seconds to run a play from the 14-yard line to the end zone. And if they don't score, take the three points and, and go into halftime with a 10-7 lead. Here's Jerry Jones talking about Mike McCarthy's decision to let the clock run down to three seconds, not call the timeout, and just kick the field goal instead of throwing the ball to the end zone. Here he is. Well, first of all, this is not a... Uh... Uh, impassioned uh, response to your question at all. But I thought we should have tried another pass in the end zone and manage uh, the clock accordingly. Do you think not doing that shows a lack of faith that Mike might have in Dak's ability to make that decision? Not at all. Not at all. You know, when he said not at all the first time, I believed him. When he said it the second time, I wondered whether he believed him. Because the way he answered that, it's, it's almost like, you know what? I hadn't thought of that. So, uh, no, 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 no. And that's one of the factors. Again, if life is all a string of probabilities, what might have caused Mike McCarthy to not do it is, well, you know what? There's a chance we're going to throw an interception in the end zone. We don't have a whole lot of room. We don't have a chance for anybody to get past the defense because we're talking about 14 yards plus 10, and that's the end of it. We throw that ball into the end zone. Maybe the ball gets tipped. Maybe something happens. And interception, worst-case scenario, interception with a guy who's got a clear lane 100 yards the other way. Let's just take the three and get out of dodge. And I feel like the way Jerry answered it, he hadn't considered it, and he wasn't going to go there. But I think if Mike McCarthy were attached to the lie detector test, he'd have to say at the end of the day, that may have been the tipping point for him. Chance of an interception being thrown in the end zone, and we get zero instead of three. Well, what he cited, Mike, Mike McCarthy I'm talking about, was that they had a holding penalty in that drive, and they did. So let's back up a little bit. They got the ball back at their own 29 with 59 seconds left, Okay. My problem, they did get a holding penalty there. 
My problem with it is with 14 seconds left, they were on the 17. They throw a short pass across the middle to Tony Pollard for three yards. Why? Why aren't you throwing into the end zone on that play? So Mike McCarthy's words make me think that he doesn't have any faith in that offense whatsoever in the red zone, period. And maybe he doesn't have faith in his own play calling in the red zone because they've been so bad at it. They were two for four in the red zone in that game. They're 26th in red zone efficiency. This was the number one red zone team last year. 26th in red zone efficiency. 23 possessions, nine touchdowns. That is just flat out awful. 39%, Mike. And a lot of those were goal-to-goal situations when they didn't get in. They either turned it over on downs or they kicked the field goal. They're kicking way too many chip shot field goals. So... I think it was a lack of faith in all of that, in Dak, in the offensive line, in the receiver's ability to get open down there in the red zone, and his play calling in the red zone, frankly. But you take a timeout with you into the locker room, that does you absolutely no good. I mean, even if you're not going to throw it into the end zone, even if you don't want to, even if you don't know which play you would call – why not why not do a draw play? They yeah. expect to throw to the end Absolutely. zone. Absolutely. Maybe Tony Pollard pops through and runs to the goal line and if he doesn't it's not going to take 8 seconds. You jump up, you take the timeout and you kick the field goal. So it just really is strange. And they say they don't listen to the noise. But even when they don't listen they hear it. And yeah. the narrative about the red zone issues with the Cowboys, it it might have caused them to say I don't want to give the haters, back to Micah Parsons' words, I don't want to give them something to talk about tomorrow if we throw this thing into the end zone and it gets picked off or we get another holding penalty and the field goal is 10 yards back farther and maybe we miss it. I just want the three here. I'm taking the three and I'm getting to the locker room and we'll come out and see what we can do. And that's fine. They won by three. But you know what? If the Chargers had put together a drive at the end of the game and won by four with a touchdown, even though it's not fair to say, well, if you would have scored a touchdown at the end of the half, it would have been a tie instead because the whole game changes. If it's 14-7 versus 10-7 going into the second half, people would have said that. People would have thought that. And it would have been just another thing for the Cowboys to deal with as they continue to be the most scrutinized team in the NFL. That's the blessing and the curse of being quote-unquote America's team, everything you do is hyper-scrutinized. And that's, that's the answer to Micah's question. Everything you do is hyper-scrutinized because of the team you play for. You play for the Cardinals, don't got to worry about it. Play for the Jaguars, even when they're good, don't have to worry about it. They don't get that intense scrutiny of every single thing that they do. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. 
That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. <laughs> oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. One thing that's been under extreme scrutiny this year, the quarterback push play. And the belief had been, well, maybe they screwed up by not getting rid of it after the 2022 season. Maybe they should have because it seems like there's only one team that can do it right, yeah. the Philadelphia Eagles. Nobody else can. And all you need is 24 votes to take that rule back out of the rule book. Used to be in the rule book. You can't push a runner from behind. Went out of the rule book. 15 years after it went out of the rule book, the Eagles say, oh, hey, well, we got something here. And they're the ones who have perfected it. The Cowboys tried it on Monday night, and it didn't work. So Jerry Jones is surely against the quarterback push play. Here he is from yesterday on 105.3 The Fan. Well, I was surprised. Uh, I'm all for it, and I like to play. Mm. Uh, I think Dak is an excellent uh, sneaker, and uh, I was just surprised that we were stopped. No, I'm okay with it. Okay. Uh, I like to play. I think there's a, a, a place for the play. I'm all for it. Uh, implementing the emphasis on the scrum, the traditional scrum that you uh, normally mm-hmm. think that the NFL and football in general and colleges tried to avoid. That doesn't bother me as much on this play. Don't call it a scrum, Jerry. The rugby people are going to come out and say it's no, a mall. Don't. It's not a scrum. It's a mall. But uh, I'm surprised. I'm surprised because – It's a strategic advantage for the Eagles. They have perfected it. No one else has. Very easy to put together 24 votes to get rid of it. When you have one of the most influential owners siding with his rival, the team he plays twice a year, the team he might see a third time in the playoffs, and they have that automatic one yard whenever they need it, that surprises me, and it makes me wonder, Shireen, can they muster what would be 24 out of... 30 now owners to say get rid of it because two are in favor of keeping it and all it takes is nine a block of nine to block any rule change that the owners would be contemplating yeah i don't know what the eagle statistics are this year but they were 37 of 41 last year so the competition committee last year reviewed it discussed it didn't put anything up for a vote and i think they didn't put anything up for a vote mike have a proposal because I don't think they had the 24 votes and I don't know that they have the 24 votes this year. So I think this is something that they'll discuss again. They are discussing again and I'm not sure it can pass though. So I'm not sure we'll ever see a proposal on this. The argument against it is it's ugly. It's not a football play. It doesn't look good. It seems unfair because only one team can perfect it. 
And I, I guess I respect the fact that the other owner's attitude is, hey, we got to get our teams to do it too if we're going to use it. But it enhances offensive play. That's the main reason that it would stay. It keeps drives going. That's what the NFL wants. Yards, yeah. points, excitement. The games this year have been lower scoring. than, and, and I know they've been lower scoring because I'm not getting an email every week from the league office bragging about how high scoring the games are. That's how we know they're high scoring. 345 Park Avenue is constantly banging on our email inbox with statements and declarations of how many points have been scored. Not this year. So they want to keep drives moving. The problem is the Eagles are the only ones who know how to keep the drives moving. And, and even though they're discussing it now, folks, one thing to remember, they would never change it midstream. This is the foundation right. for what would happen in March. The NFL very, very, very rarely would consider doing anything to change rules during a season because there's an integrity of the full season. We've gone six weeks allowing this. We're not going to pull the plug on this play a third of the way into the season. So it's here to stay for the rest of the year. The question is, Shireen, do they have the votes in March of 24? And your instinct and your read on it seems to be they don't. And I wish they did, but... It looks like we're just going to have to get used to it. And the other teams that aren't doing it well are going to have to figure out, number one, how to do it better. And number two, how to better defend it when we play the Eagles. I think the only thing that changes, Mike, where we might get the 24 votes is if we have a ton of injuries, especially to big-name players off of this play. And the Giants had two earlier this year in that game against Seattle, that Monday night game. They lost two players on the push play on the same play. So if we, if we have a big-name player, multiple players go out on this play, they, can cite, they love citing those injury numbers. Hey, 25% of, you know, more injuries on this play than other plays – et cetera, et cetera. If they can do that and cite some injury numbers, then I think some owners maybe who are against changing it come around and say, you know what, this is a dangerous play. But I think first they have to determine that it's a dangerous play before anything happens. I don't think otherwise it's going to pass. And that dovetails with some of the commentary that has popped up about that play because the reality is, and Peter King flagged this back in the offseason when he was trying to use – his platform, this platform, his voice to try to get people to realize there's a lot of risk here. There's risk to the quarterback. One of the ways to defend it is you've created an incentive, an incentive, incentives and probabilities. Those are the things that make the world go round. You've created an incentive to take a free shot at the quarterback. And there are ways to word that. As Robert Sala did last week, we have to give him 11 kisses because he knows you're not going to come out and say, It's open season on the quarterback when he decides to become the equivalent of Walter Payton back in the day, although nobody's jumping over the pile. But you're the runner. When you're the runner, you have very limited protections against physical contact. And, you know, the reality is Jalen Hurts knows how to avoid it. He knows how to slip through the cracks. He's got that Tom Brady quality. Remember how Tom Brady used to just slip through the opening unexpectedly, even though you should have expected it to get a first down or a touchdown from one yard away? So that's part of it, too, though. If a quarterback gets injured seriously on that play, that's when all of a sudden the narrative may change. Because, look, we had five quarterbacks injured on Sunday. We're going to have some games like this weekend in Chicago. It's not going to be Jimmy Garoppolo against Justin Fields. We don't know that for sure yet, but it sure looks like it's going to be Aiden O'Connell against Tyson Bajant. 
We don't want backup quarterbacks, especially in standalone primetime games. So you're right. Injuries, but specifically, specifically. If the defenses, which will never speak about it publicly, but you know privately they're talking about it, what can they do on that play to disrupt the quarterback in a way that would get that team to stop using that play? Once that happens once, that's when things may change. You remember Troy Polamalu had that play down where he timed up the snap and went right over and just destroyed the quarterback or running back or whoever it was on those short yardage plays. I'm surprised someone hadn't tried that. And if they do try that, I think that's when you start to see some of these injuries and then you start to see the NFL and the competition committee go, well, maybe not. This play has gotten pretty dangerous. Dallas Goddard, the Eagles tight end, said earlier this year, that's the only way to stop it. Somebody's got to do it, Troy Palomalo. So your, your instincts are right on the money. The, the Eagles already know that's one of the, the things they have to worry about. And when you look at how the play unfolds, it's all so low to the ground, it's kind of impervious to somebody flying over the top. Somebody flies over the top, what are they going to do? The, the, the mall has gone right past him as he flew over the top. So um, it's kind of one of those things that it's so ugly, people are starting to see the beauty in it. And maybe, maybe there is. Even though it doesn't look like the kind of football play we're used to seeing, shotgun formation, no. Just a, just a mass clot of bodies. But if Jerry likes it, which surprised me, it's going to be harder and harder to get to the 24 votes to make it go away. That's going to be a big topic in the offseason. Or maybe it won't be a topic at all. Maybe it just fizzles out and people just accept the fact that it's here to stay. Speaking of injuries... Adam Schefter reported yesterday that the three key 49ers players who were injured on Sunday in Cleveland, Trent Williams, ankle injury, who came back, and Kyle Shanahan said Monday that it's not a high ankle sprain. Debo Samuel, who left early with a shoulder injury, x-rays negative, MRI apparently not negative either, because or, or negative, not positive. I always, I always hate that. Negative means positive. Positive means negative. MRI presumably negative because he's day-to-day with the shoulder. And then Christian McCaffrey... That was the one where they timed the MRI just right, so it was happening during Shanahan's press conference, so he didn't have to say what the results of the MRI were. But uh, Schefter said all three aren't expected to have long-term injuries. I don't know what that really means, but Monday night, 49ers at Vikings, McCaffrey could play. And that's a huge deal for the 49ers because even though for most teams at running back, the drop from first string to second string isn't that great. If there's a significant drop, and all due respect to the backups in San Francisco, this isn't about you. It's about how great McCaffrey is. There's a pretty big drop off there. And as they try to to get back on track after losing to the Browns, it would be helpful to have Christian McCaffrey on Monday night in Minnesota because who knows, in Minnesota on a Monday night in prime time, it's loud. The Vikings are feeling a little bit better because they got a win on Sunday and they know that that they can't afford to have their fifth loss. And if they could somehow beat the 49ers, all of a sudden they're three and four and they're back kind of close to the thick of things. They need McCaffrey if they can have him Monday night. And what we're going to find out Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the injury reports are going to tell us a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And then Sunday, if he travels to Minnesota, then it looks like he'll be good to go. Yeah, they say it's a pain tolerance issue with him, Mike. That tells me if that's what it is, then he's probably going to play. He'll they tolerate the pain. To, yeah, they have two games to get to their bye, the, the Vikings and then the Bengals. 
this next Sunday, a week from Sunday. So if they get past those two games, then he gets some rest. Maybe, Mike, they dress him out and they pick their spots to use him. He's been used an awful lot so far this season, and he definitely needs some rest. So maybe it's a thing with him. You have him sort of on a pitch count when you try to protect him a little bit and put him in at key spots and maybe don't play him the whole entire game and you see how the game goes and when you need him and maybe you end up needing him more than you think, but at least you have him there in those big spots. But I do know that he's been used an awful lot already this season, and I do worry, is he going to be able to keep that up? Is he going to be fresh when they get to the postseason and they really need him in those big big spots? So, you know, maybe that's what you do with these guys a little bit, if you can, is pick your spots when to use them. Tough balance for the 49ers because they have become a dominant team fueled by the fact that they have guys who will just go and they'll fight for every blade of grass. And the problem is when you play that way over the course of a 17 game regular season, the chances of getting injured are higher and it feels just like it's inevitable for the 49ers that they're going to run into a patch of injuries. And here it is. It happened the first game after they emerged as clearly the best team in the NFL and they lost to the Browns by not having Debo Samuel most of the game, not having McCaffrey for much of the game. That surely contributed to it, and that's the weakness. That's the Achilles heel for the San Francisco 49ers, and we'll see if they have all their best players back on Monday night. One little thing that I noticed about the 49ers, they have had the habit of staying in the East Coast when they have two games here, Cleveland, Minnesota. And Kyle Shanahan explained earlier this week, because the Minnesota game's Monday night, that allowed them to go all the way home and then travel to Minnesota, presumably on Sunday. But that's, you know, you see that from time to time. If a guy's questionable, you get the word that he didn't travel, there's your sign that he's not going to play. Or if he does travel, that's your indication that he will play. So that's the big question heading into Monday night's game. Will the 49ers have Christian McCaffrey? And even if they don't, they, they should be able to beat the Vikings on Monday night. We'll see how that goes. Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers on the field throwing on Sunday before the Jets-Eagles game. A lot of people encouraged that he's on his way back. He himself is suggesting that maybe we should pump the brakes. I thought they were all gas, no brakes in New York. Maybe it's all gas, some brakes. We'll discuss Rogers' comments from Tuesday when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 